This is Equipping Eve, the podcast that seeks to equip women with fruits of truth from God's Word. In his second letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ begins by being grounded in his word. So let's open our Bibles, ladies, and prepare to feast on the truth God has given us. Well, hello, ladies, and welcome to Equipping Eve. I'm your host, Erin Benziger. And if you've been listening regularly, you know that we recently finished walking through the Gospel of John. Um, But something struck me at the end of that Gospel that I wanted to just elaborate on a little bit more and kind of do a crossbook study, a short one, across the Gospels. And that was just the idea of the women at the tomb, not the idea, the fact of the women at the tomb of Jesus. So what I want us to do today, ladies, is to walk through the Gospels. So get your Bible and get ready to open it. And we're going to look at all four accounts here of um, Jesus' resurrection. So first, I want us to consider the events following Jesus' death, okay? Because if we put the accounts together, we know a lot of the details, right? And we're really familiar with these stories, and it's kind of easy to maybe gloss over some of the details, and um, that's why Bible study is so important and regular reading, because sometimes you pick up on things that, I mean, you've read that passage, you know, 300 times and all of a sudden it's like oh wait I never actually saw that before or oh yeah I've noticed it before but it never really clicked with me you know that that was there and that that is saying this I don't know maybe I'm the only one that happens to but I think probably not and so if we kind of think back on the accounts we know that um, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus they're the ones who claim Jesus body And, you know, a question I have there is, where are the disciples? Uh, And, of course, a lot of this is fulfillment of prophecy that Jesus would be buried in a rich man's tomb, essentially, even though he was crucified as a criminal. But where, where are the disciples in all of this? Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus prepare the body as best they can before the Sabbath and um, lay him in the tomb. And we know that John was there at the cross as Jesus died because he commissioned him to take care of his mother. But um, the the 11, as far as we know, have really kind of left at this point. You know, they, they take Jesus' body down. And where where are the disciples? We don't specifically know where they are at this point in the story, but let's start walking through these gospel accounts, ladies, and see what we do know So if you turn first to Matthew 27, and we're going to start with verse 57. And today, ladies, I'm actually reading from the CSB. Um, So that's the Christian Standard Bible. It used to be the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Uh, When they switched to CSB, they made a few changes. Some I like, some I don't. And I'm reading from that today for two primary reasons. One, I've just been using that for my reading lately. I've been enjoying it quite a bit. And two, it's the Bible that's closest to me at this moment. So there you go. Matthew 27, verse 57. 
When it was evening, a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph came, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. He approached Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Then Pilate ordered that it be released. So Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean, fine linen, and placed it in his new tomb, which he had cut into the rock. He left after rolling a great stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were seated there facing the tomb. Now, briefly, because she's named here specifically by name, who was Mary Magdalene? Um, if you turn quickly, this is kind of a tangent, but I just want us to get an idea because there are some movies and, um, you know, other, uh, other accounts and ways that the scripture has been portrayed that kind of give us a certain idea of who Mary Magdalene was that is not necessarily accurate. So actually, if you go to gotquestions.org and type in who was Mary Magdalene, they kind of help to call out some of these misconceptions. So Mary Magdalene, it says, has been associated with the woman in the city who was a sinner in Luke 7:37, who washed Jesus' feet, but there is no scriptural basis for this. It says the city of Magdala did have a reputation for prostitution, and this information, coupled with the fact that Luke first mentions Mary Magdalene immediately following his account of the sinful woman, has led some to equate the two women. But there is no evidence to support this idea, no scriptural evidence. Mary Magdalene is nowhere identified as a prostitute or as a sinful woman, despite popular portrayals of her as such. Mary Magdalene, I'm still reading from Got Questions, is also often associated with the woman whom Jesus saved from stoning after she had been taken in adultery. But again, there's no evidence. And it points out that um, that movie, the Mel Gibson movie, Passion of the Christ, made that connection. And so again, it's not taught in the Bible. So who was Mary Magdalene? If you turn to Luke 8, we're introduced to her. Afterward, he was traveling, Jesus, from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. And now we have a colon, so we're listing these women. Mary, called Magdalene, seven demons had come out of her. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward, Susanna, and many others who were supporting them from their possessions. So Mary, called Magdalene, she had been saved by Jesus of seven demons. So he had exercised, E-X-O-R, um, seven demons out of Mary Magdalene. But there's no indication that she is the immoral woman, the prostitute, things like that, um, that she is often associated with uh, outside of scripture. So back to where we were in Matthew 27, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, Mary's a very popular name, uh, see where Jesus is laid, okay? So they're seeing this. They know exactly where he's been buried. They know what's going on. Chapter 28, verse 1, After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. The angel told the women, don't be afraid, because I know you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. 
Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell the disciples the news. Just then Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. So here in Matthew's account, the women are the first to receive this divine announcement and are given an order to what? To go share this good news with the disciples. And then the women are the first to what? Come across Jesus, the resurrected Christ. He appears to them. And again, he commissions them, go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee. They will see me there. The women, it was pretty brave of them to be going back to the tomb, right? It's guarded. Uh, talk about a controversial crucifixion. And there they are. They want to serve the Lord and worship him in the only way that they can at this point, at least as far as they know. And they want to continue preparing his body for burial. All right, let's move on to Mark and flip to the end of that gospel, chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, identifying the other Mary, and Salome bought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. They went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. Oh, Mark, you have to give us an odd ending, don't you? So that we're not quite sure what's going on. And then, of course, we could continue, but um, these final verses of Mark are not found in the earliest manuscripts. So not necessarily sure that those are from the original, but we have a similar account here, right? We have Mary, the other Mary, and now we've added Salome. And we have women as the recipients of this divine visitor with the announcement, he, he is risen. And this really isn't the first time we see this in scripture, is it? I mean, that would be a study in itself to kind of walk through and see how God graciously appears or sends an angelic messenger to appear to women throughout scripture. But if we pause and we think about it, if God thought as little about women as some evangelicals seem to, We'd really have to rewrite a lot of scripture. I don't actually understand how so many professing Christians deal with scripture because it seems to me that women are given an awfully high place. I'm not arguing for women preachers here, 
I'm just saying let's not relegate women to second-class citizens. Let's not put them uh, in the kitchen with a pregnant belly and say that that's all they can do. Let's not say that women must be submissive to all men and that they can't do anything or make any decisions or have any opinions or thoughts of their own outside of a man. If that was the case, why did God bother sending an angel to Mary? If you can't trust anything that a woman says or does, and I know I'm getting off on a tangent and I'm up on a soapbox and I'm sorry, feel free to fast forward, turn it off, whatever, that's fine. But I think we need to wrestle with this because it's rampant in conservative Christian circles. This idea that you need a man to be counted as a citizen in the kingdom of God or that anything you say has to be backed up by a man to be true. Then why did God bother sending an angel to Mary? He could have just sent just the one to Joseph and been like, here's what I'm going to do. You go tell Mary it's going to happen. It's not what he did. Because God doesn't view women the way that so many professing Christians view women. This is not a cry for secular feminism. It's a cry for a biblical view of women and men as God has described it in his word. Okay, moving on. Let's turn to Luke. Luke chapter 23. Verse 50. There was a good and righteous man named Joseph, a member of the Sanhedrin, who had not agreed with their plan and action to crucify Jesus. He was from Arimathea, a Judean town, and was looking forward to the kingdom of God. He approached Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Taking it down, he wrapped it in fine linen and placed it in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever been placed. It was the preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed along and observed the tomb and how his body was placed, making the point that these women witnessed where and how Jesus was laid. And remember, women back in the first century had no credibility. So to use them as witnesses, it wasn't done. But what did God do? Women were the first witnesses of the resurrection. I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, verse 56. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. They rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment, chapter 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They saw the body, how it was laid, remember? So it's not like, oh, maybe it never got in here in the first place. No, no, they saw it. While they were perplexed about this, verse 4, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? asked the men. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day? And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. Hold up, wait, you have women telling the apostles things? Whoa, mind blown. We should rewrite this. This is clearly wrong. Is it? No, it's exactly as God planned it. 
But these words seem like nonsense to them, to the apostles. They did not believe the women. Silly women. I mean, you know, they just go around telling their stories. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. And when he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths. So he went away amazed at what had happened. So again, they're given this mandate to deliver an authoritative message to the eleven. And of course, no one believes them because they're just a bunch of women with their silly stories. But God entrusted women with this incredibly important message. The first ones to witness the resurrected Christ. The first ones to hear the words, He has risen. Again, I am not trying to make us be all girl power. No, no, no. That's not the point. I don't want to be misunderstood. Um, If someone's going to deliberately misunderstand me, I can't help that. That's your problem, not mine. I just want us to acknowledge it. Because, not because we're women, but because God does. And I want to make sure that we understand that and see how important that is. Okay, moving on to John 20, which we just read a couple of episodes ago. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb, so she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. And so then, of course, we know the story, right? Peter and John go running. John gets there first. And Peter goes in and he sees that the linen cloths are there. And so they see and believe, but they don't understand the scripture. And so they go back. The disciples go back to where they were. But Mary, verse 11, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying, just like the women didn't leave Jesus at the cross. She still, she stayed at the tomb, the last place where she knew her Lord had been. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, he said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he said to her. I love this account, which I probably said when we first looked at it in our study of John. And I'm not sure 100% how all of these fit together because we, you know, there's little variations, um, different authors picking out different details to relay in this particular account. But I love that Mary Magdalene was the first to see the risen Christ. And again, she's given this message from Jesus himself to go talk to a bunch of men and tell them, you know, all the men who were too scared to hang around anywhere, she's given that message for them. And there's a passage in the book Worthy, um, subtitled Celebrating the Value of Women. It walks, this is a great book, 
um, walks through scripture, looking at how God values women throughout scripture. It's written by um, Elise Fitzpatrick and Eric Schumacher. And anyway, just quoting from that book, it says, How appropriate is Jesus' encounter with Mary in the garden? In Genesis 3, a serpent spoke to the woman, deceiving her, leading to her leading to her and her husband's sin and exile from the garden. She heard the promise that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Now, in another garden, we find a woman out of whom Jesus had driven seven demons. She hears the voice of the seed of the woman, the risen Lord, who has crushed the head of sin, death, and the power of the devil. And then they go on, they say, why does it matter that these women were such early witnesses to the resurrection? It matters because these women knew Jesus well. They traveled with him, eating with him, supporting him financially, taking care of him, learning at his feet. These women knew him. They watched him die, saw his body prepared for burial and laid in the tomb. An imposter would not dupe them. They knew their Lord and this man, risen from the dead, was their Jesus. Then they go on and proclaim the gospel to the reader. And that's what I want us to see today, to not downplay the importance of women in the kingdom. If you're a wife and a mother and that's what you do, that's your ministry. If you have a job outside the home, that's okay. Don't let someone tell you you're sinning. Some families have to do that. And that's part of your ministry too. God calls each person, man and woman, to a different life in this world so that we have our particular circles where we proclaim his gospel in whatever way we can. And God uses women mightily. We see that just in this account of Jesus' resurrection. And that's just one account throughout the entire scripture. And again, I don't want to be misunderstood here. I'm sure I will be. I am not calling for women to be pastors. When I say that these women were given an authoritative message from the angels and from Jesus, they were. I mean, Jesus tells you, go tell my disciples to go to Galilee and I'll see them there. I mean, like, that means you got to go tell them Jesus said this. Doesn't mean I'm an egalitarian. I don't want to stand up and preach and I don't want to see any ladies standing up and preaching as elders within the church. But I want us to be mindful of the role and importance of women in scripture because God is the one who's put it there. Because if we would listen to a lot of leaders today, a lot of well-respected conservative leaders, we would walk away thinking that we can't even make our own decisions without having a man to consult. I don't know. I've known a lot of men who have made a lot of really stupid decisions, so not entirely willing to let them make all my decisions for me. known a lot of women who've made a lot of stupid decisions and made a lot of stupid ones myself, too, because we're all fallen. Having a Y chromosome does not make you more godly. It does not make you more trustworthy, more perfect, nothing. And these ladies that we read about today, they acted without a man saying, well, you should go prepare spices and go prepare the body. No one told them to do that. They did that out of service and worship and love for their Lord. 
They acted on their own to honor Jesus and look at what happened to them. All right, ladies, we're running long. As uh, an endorsement today, I am going to recommend the book Worthy to you, most definitely. Grab a copy of it. You will enjoy it. I don't agree 100% with everything in there, kind of some of the side comments, but it's a book that I still commend to you. I think you'll enjoy it. It's just a nice, honest look at scripture. And as a parting thought, I want you to ask yourself, what is your mindset as a Christian woman? What is our mindset as Christian women? What have we been told and what does God say in his word? Do you realize, ladies, if you've been saved, if you belong to Jesus, you are a daughter of the king. And that means something. All right, ladies, until next time, get in your Bibles, get on your knees, and get equipped. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.